Chartoff, your host of Film Wax Radio. It is uh, Tuesday, June 23rd, 2020. This is episode number 620 of the podcast. This is a great episode, guys. You're lucky you're listening to it. This is a, a, one of my favorite podcasts. You just sometimes just meet somebody who is spectacular. You get your feeling about it from the work they do or where, you know, if you've seen them, you've just get this guy I, I, or whoever it is. You know, it's like you just get a sense of this is somebody I got to kind of try to connect with. And it sometimes works. You know, I think I probably found him on Twitter or something and I tweeted directly. And the next thing you know, we're we're having conversation. It took a few months to get it going because of all sorts of things that were going on. But finally, I had this. Well, let me name this brilliant filmmaker, Mark Cousins, uh, the great nation of Scotland. I apologize already for doing that anyway we all know who mark well anyone who loves film okay you if you 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 know who mark cousins is even if you don't know that you know i think probably most famously from a series that was uh streaming on netflix called the story of film and odyssey which came out in 2011 actually uh i don't know when it went on netflix but it came out originally netflix it's this enormous project anyway that came out in 2011 which is when film wax radio began uh, far more recently i saw his film the eyes of orson welles which i just again i, I just thought who who is this guy so we fell in touch over twitter i think i think i'm pretty sure which is which is lovely because that's you know then you you don't you bypass I don't know it's direct you know and I was so thrilled you know I, I I was so enthralled by his work as well as his voice and his narrative style let me play you a moment of what I'm talking about here this is because when he's on the podcast he's not going to perform like he does anyway this is uh, a little clip from the story of film and Odyssey and and by the way. This is a very, very prolific filmmaker. I ended up seeing a number of his films, including Women Make Film, A Story of Children in Film. What else did I see? I Am Belfast. One or two others. It's worth watching. Mark Cousins is is really quite a storyteller, quite a a unique mind. But here's, here's a little clip of what I'm talking about. With all its talk of box office, the film business would have us believe that money drives movies. Ticket sales. Marketing, glamour, premieres, red carpets. But it doesn't. Money doesn't drive cinema. The money men don't know the secrets of the human heart or the brilliance of the medium of film. But if money doesn't drive movies, what does? It's images and ideas that excite us, not money or showbiz. But if the business people don't control film, who does? Who knows how to get inside your head? David Lynch does. And Baz Luhrmann does. 
and in a different way, Samira Makmobaf does. The story of film and Odyssey is a global road movie to find the innovators, the people and films that give life to this sublime, ineffable art form, cinema. Fasten your seatbelts, it's going to be a bumpy ride. You can see what I'm saying. So here we go. We're going to talk to Mark Cousins. This is a case where we did this on Zoom. It was early on in the COVID uh, quarantine experience. This was a month after I lost my father. So I was still kind of reeling from that. And I was in a very vulnerable place. So he he just, I don't know if he sensed it or maybe he didn't have to. Maybe you just have to be kind of somewhat sensitive and you can sense that somebody is open to talking and communicating. I think he's just got a great antenna for that. Anyway, I'm not going to spend a lot of time. You you can see a lot of his films in various streaming platforms, but here is um, a wonderful conversation that I, I'm very grateful for having had with the filmmaker, Mark Cousins, here on Filmwax Radio. Start video. Start video. Hello. Hi. Hey. Oh, hello. 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 Sorry about You're that. very low. Your vo- your audio level is very low. Oh, it is. Let me see. <clears throat> yeah. Wow. So. Hello. Good day. Hi. How are you? Good. How are, is that better? Yes, that's very good. Great. Nice to see you. Nice to see you as well. What a dunce! I I usually disable the password, but I guess I was just so flummoxed every time I tried to set up this meeting in advance. I'd go back in and it would be at some other date and time yeah. or some weird anomaly or something. I, anyway, thanks for your putting up with it. No, not at all. And thank you for persisting because I, you know, we first started communicating some time ago, didn't we? But I, <laughs> Long time, I, yeah. I, I, appreciate, I appreciate that. Yeah, it's not typical. I mean, I'm sure the time difference maybe played a small component in it, but not much. You know, it was more just... Uh, a series of of move like I had a move. My dad, frankly, I had some personal issues. My father died uh, yeah. recently. It was just been, uh, yeah, a lot. So, yeah, but uh, sorry to hear that. Thank you. Yeah. So I'm I'm hoping the recording from here is probably it's probably should be probably pretty good. Don't be too far though from the mic. Just no, case. I can go closer. Yeah. yeah, just I want you to be comfortable too though. Yeah, and <laughs> it's it's podcast, so it's audio only. Is that right? Yes. Yes. I yeah. yeah, I am recording it off right off here, but I will only use the audio. Yeah. So nobody. Otherwise, I would go and put a shirt on, but since it's the pictures have <laughs> been used, it's really hot in here. I live in a room with really big windows. Uh, I'll show you. So, um, yeah, like really big Scottish windows, and so in the in the afternoon, it gets really hot in this room. Oh yeah. Well, it's one of those smart leaders. Uh, uh, it was probably unintentional that it was designed. Uh, like with smart technology, meaning ecologically, that it was designed your your apartment there to yes. uh, optimize the natural light and heat, right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> but you might be able to tell. You need an air conditioner. <laughs> but where are you? In, are you right now in Scotland? In Scotland, in Edinburgh, uh, the right. capital city, and I'm in the 
south side of town, which is the, the student-y bit of town. So a lot of the students, because of the crisis, have left. So it's really quite, it's even more quiet than usual here. And, and you know, a lot of the apartment blocks are empty around here. So it's quite, um, it's yeah. quite uh, very almost spooky experience, but quite nice. I mean, I, I'm just getting on with lots of things. So that's fine by me, you know. Right, sure. Uh, well, I can only, I claim, I, I can claim I've been to Edinburgh. That's, that's, uh, but it was some years back, but. I found it a, to be a, a charming city. <laughs> and where are you? I'm in New York, but I'm in I'm in Queens right now. Queens. Yeah. I I, I went to my father's apartment. He was ailing, as I mentioned. He, you know, yes. there was a lot of drama going on. So I had sort of set up temporary camp here, which at the time wasn't too bad because my son had to move in with me anyway. My teenage son. Uh-huh. So we didn't realize at the time that we'd be here for months, but. Yeah. It turns out to be be good because it's very comfortable and I don't know, it feels a little bit like we're off the beat, a little bit out of the way here, which, yeah. um, and and there is a vehicle available to me, which has been, which was in the case. So when we do go to do errands and stuff, we can, you know, use that. Um, But you're right. Other than sirens, which I'm certain during the course of this conversation, you'll hear sirens in the night because my window's open. Yes. Um, part of the soundtrack of this podcast absolutely <laughs> so, since i saw the story of film yes in odyssey back in i guess about it had to be around 2011 or so i don't know not long after i can't remember where where i saw it maybe once it was all, already on a streaming platform or if i saw it elsewhere but i was so enamored with your your narration and your voice <laughs> I, I mean, you know, to get, have gotten to this point now where I'm talking to you, and now your your voice is now this thing I've been so fixated on has now gotten all the way over. Successfully made it out to the show. It's it's kind of a fun thing. But I I want to I do want to start there because your narration is so uh, central to. I mean, it's you're all around these around around the visual, but. At the same time, the narration is, is almost, I think, exactly as, as equally important in, in most of your films, um, you know, the ones you narrate anyway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, and I'm wondering how you go about, let's say, taking, for instance, the story of film, even though there are a number of, of other projects where you have the same approach, like how, how you arrive at this. Uh, it's, almost, it's like writing a song. Mm-hmm. I feel like there's music and lyrics and I kind of feel like you're, you're, you know, you're operating under the same, well, what comes first? Yeah. yeah. No, that, I mean, I, I think you, that's the central question when you're writing to picture, you know, what comes first. And I always write to the picture. The picture comes first. There's never a script in advance, Adam. And, and, and so where the screen that I'm looking at you, uh, looking at you on now is the screen where I look at something and I type here and I type what I'm seeing and I would type a kind of response to that. I try to, I always write in the present tense, you know, so I say this and here rather than there, or I say is rather than was. Um, and so you get, I'm always looking for a feeling that you and I are watching at the same time in the same moment. 
you know, and I'm not, it's not something that I have seen ages ago and you're catching up on. I'm looking for the present tense, the intimacy, a slightly kind of nighttime feel, you know, like nighttime radio where they play slow jazz and things. I've, I've always been interested in that kind of mood when I um, write. So they are the key elements for me, present tense, image comes first, and a kind of quietude, I would say. There is a kind of almost, uh, it's almost like music, though, your films, too. You know, as I described it, I was realizing it really does remind me of that same kind of experience. I could put on your narration and see almost everything in my head as I... <laughs> yeah, That's I, nice. That's nice. I'm certainly, I'm so, you're certainly looking for rhymes uh, and rhythms. When, when, when I'm writing, you know, you're hoping to, that the sentence has a rhythm. Uh, you're hoping that what I don't want to do is like just con convey factual information, you know, and like a lecture or something like that. It needs to be more intimate than that and a bit more poetic than that, if possible. And as you maybe, if possible, more musical. That's a very, that's a compliment to me that you say that. And hopefully that's what I'm aiming for, at least. And then I guess I have to wonder when you begin this, when you begin a project, because like writing a song, which is the only way I can compare. So I'm sorry, I keep dredging up this same comparison because I've written songs. And so I, it's not, not but like to the degree, uh, I'm not prolific, but I write from a very, you know, it's very artistic. It's the most personal, intimate, artistic way or experience I've ever had was writing music, you know? And um, so I take from that. And, I, and I've never been able to think, well, today I'm going to write a song about, this subject or that subject, but I wonder if you do, if you know ahead of time the subject matter, or if you just begin, because you're dealing with archive and there's, I'm riffing here a little bit, I'm not as prepared with my questions, but uh, how, how, do a, how do projects begin, I guess, is the question. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, <clears throat> so, you know, um, um, the, the great Irish poet Seamus Heaney said that inspiration is a ball kicked in from nowhere. And so, you know, the easy answer is you don't know. It's just something you have an idea and you don't know where it comes. But you know when you have an idea once it arrives because you feel a bit sick, <laughs> a bit feverish almost, you know, a bit hot. Uh, and so when an idea comes in your head, it sort of infects your brain a little bit and you can't get rid of it. And it's almost like you want to take a headache tablet. The great American director, John Sales, talks about the sickness of having an idea. So that's the starting point. That's where you know you have been invaded or infected by an idea. And what's key to that for me is that it comes from outside. And this is where I sort of say something that a lot of people don't agree with. And most, of pe most people assume uh, that to be creative is to express yourself. That's, you know, our art schools and our everybody, almost everybody in the creative world say, I'm expressing myself. I have something to say and I want to show it to the world. And I think exactly the opposite of that. <laughs> I think by the very fact that I talk about invasion, uh, that something coming into me, a ball kicked in for nowhere, from nowhere, means that I'm not expressing myself when I make films. Uh, I, it's not that I have this incredibly rich, brilliant inner world that I want to share with the audience and show right. 
show how profound my inner life is. I have no inner life, as it were. I am kind of empty. And uh, I feel, and I think I'm not the only one who thinks this. If you look at, the, for example, the letters of Vincent van Gogh, he says, you know, the picture does not, the painting does not come from inside me. He says, it's already out there in the olive grease, in the olive trees, in the baking heat. All he has to do is liberate it from the landscape. This really rings true to me. So that's a long answer to your question, but it's basically to say that the idea comes from outside and I become a kind of a stenographer or, you know, I, I sort of, I write down the idea, but I do not generate it. The world generates it. The world is incredibly rich and brilliant and scary and terrible, as we know at the moment in the, in the current crisis None of us, uh, I certainly could not have invented this new atmosphere, this new thematics, this new Greek tragedy in which we are existing. It came to me. But in your case, because your many of your films, most of your films, well, at least the ones I've been exposed to, rely on film, other films, people, <laughs> existing films, there's a, a lot of I have to imagine copyright is a major component, right? Or not because the way the amount of time you use or because of the way you repurpose it, it's you you can you're allowed to do this without yeah, I'm, I'm, I've made films about lots of things. I've made films about Holocaust denial and the yeah. First Gulf War and lots of things. Of the films that are related to cinema, copyright is never an issue, to be honest, you know, because of the fair use, fair dealing uh, legal precedent, which means that you can use an extract of a work of art. Uh, I'm sure you understand uh, how it works for for if you're going to refer to it and comment on it in a specific way. And by my nature, that's what I do. So for me, you know, I make, if you want to make a film, you want to make films about the outside world and whether that outside world is a war mm-hmm. or a tree or another film, it doesn't matter. They're all things that are out there. And so when I, when I use, um, for me, when I'm, use, when I'm using a clip of a great film by, I don't know, Orson Welles or Agnes Varda or, or whoever, it's a bit like... <laughs> filming a tree it's something out there that's beautiful and inspiring and i want to understand it so i try to incorporate it into my own work mm-hmm. so fair use means that as as long as it all depends on the context of how you're using it then the fair use regu- regulations are online they say that you must not distort a piece of art that you use, you can only use a bit of it. Uh, you yep. need to have something to say about it. You can't use it as a piece of wallpaper. You gotcha. can't say, hey, here's my new music video, therefore I'm going to use clips from Alfred Hitchcock's film Vertigo, for example. You need to be using it for a purpose. And you need to be, you need to need it in your, the, the way you're using a film clip, you need to need it to make a point. The reference. Not just a reference, you need to be commenting on it. Your story needs to rely oh, okay. on that's the way. I got you. I understand. Yeah. Okay, that's good. I figured that, that had to be the case because I'm thinking there's no way you could do some of your pro- the projects you've done if you're so limited. It, you know, limited. What's that? 
limited in what way? Yeah. Oh, just by getting the whatever rights you need. Like, like that- but I knew about fair use. I just, and I thought this has got to be a case where this is, you know, where you are using that because it just seemed to me like what an enormous undertaking if you had to uh, get permission to use as much of the footage as you clearly are using. Yeah, yeah, and fair use, you know, one of the things about fair use is that you can't use it to save money. It's not about saving money. Right. It's about intellectual liberty and creative liberty. I, as a filmmaker, can you hear There's an ambulance outside my window. I don't know if you can hear it yet. But it's- I, I hope it comes by here later. That'll be pretty neat. You're going to get one in Queens, <laughs> and I'm going to get one here in Scotland. And, um, yeah, so fair use. If, if, if somebody wants to use a film clip and they use fair use just to save money, yeah. then you're not allowed to do that. So it has to be to take a, an extract from a film and turn it into something else in your artwork, as it were. Then there's the question of your knowledge. <laughs> I was watching, for instance... A story of children in film. Yes, and there is the portion of the of that film where uh, where it's about the bal- various balloons. You know, yeah. I, I grew up with the red balloon. I was familiar with that. Then I remember uh, seeing the white balloon. I mean, I know because I've spent so much of my life watching cinema. And then I remember there was also uh, what was the name of the filmmaker who did another. About the, the another balloon, the yellow balloon, the British one, and then yeah, there's, yeah. um, I can't remember what it's so long since I've watched that film, even though I made it, but I, so right. I can't remember what the other balloon ones are. Yeah, but I, and I don't want to also just say, oh, there's a balloon in a film. That's how simplistic your approach is. It's there's uh, other themes going on, which is really the point of, of tying the films together. But you know, just know uh, that's just one small example of how you're able to, in your fever dream of a film, <laughs> of how you're able to bring in so many different films to draw a point, to make a point. And yeah. um, it's staggering how you're able to do that. And, and I, <laughs> the only thing I can think of, obviously you have to have a great amount of uh, experience to bring to it, but also, well, maybe again, to, to compare it to the music and composition, maybe once you are, creating a momentum, an artistic momentum. It's just you're drawing from so much that you, you know, uh, certain yeah. muscles and, and that you've developed. And I have I, a very, I have a very good visual memory. I've got a terrible verbal memory, but I've got a really good visual memory. So when I'm sitting here at my desk writing about something, I can sort of remember stuff that I've seen years and years and years ago. And that's the first, the first reason why I think I've got a, you know, a really, a a pretty good knowledge of cinema in my head. But the second one I think is even more important, which is that I never rewatch films. You know, lots of people, I know lots of people who find their comfort zone, they find their hundred favorite films and they rewatch them all the time. And I understand that it's a a great pleasure to do that, you know, and I would love to watch Ninochka again. And I would love to watch Magnificent Ambersons again, but there's such a world of cinema out there, Adam. And so I would rather move on and see something new. Yeah. And so when people are watching The Godfather for the 10th time, I'm watching some uh, brilliant masterpiece from India in 1958. I noticed. <laughs> but that can't be... You, but you've got... I mean, obviously you're going back and you're finding your, your moments 
you know, I, I hate the word clips because it's a, uh, it's like a painting too, you know, and you're, you're, so you're going, you are going back and, and rewatching, but you're yes, talking about for, for the that, purposes that, of within what? the context of you're making your, your, yes. your yeah, I understand. Yes. Only, only when I, you know, if I have to, like when I made my Orson Welles film, I had to rewatch the films in order to write about them. Sure. But it was only to have the image in front of me and write about the battle scene in Chimes at Midnight or whatever, you know. I did, you know, this sounds sort of arrogant almost, but I did not need to rewatch the films in order to work out what I think about them. Because I had, on the first hit, you know, the first tasting of them, I I sort of got what they were. You know, it's a, it's a weird thing to say because in other in many other aspects of life, I am pretty stupid. But when it comes to watching films, I sort of seem to be able to absorb it, absorb a film like a sponge. Mm -hmm. And you you just what, how do you typically uh, I guess historically not talking about this particular time, but do you typically I suppose you must be like 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 myself, who I see a, a certain amount of the theaters, and I watch certain one at home. Is that what you're doing? Yes. Oh, oh, for me, always a theater the first time. I'll try not to really? see a film the first time on a small screen if possible, uh, because you know, just for those things that cinema is bigger than life. I always sit in the front row, so the film yeah. feel fills my field of vision. I can see nothing else but the film. And if you're really in the front row, sometimes you need to turn your head. So I want to feel overwhelmed by the film. I want to feel like a child in front of the film. I want to feel that joy that I felt as a boy when I first saw cinema. So I will only reluctantly uh, watch a film for the first time on the small screen. So for example, when Netflix does a kind of funds uh, Scorsese's Irishman or whatever, I will pretty much insist on seeing it on the big screen first. And probably that'll be the, that'll be the only time I saw Irishman will be in the big screen front row, huge. Oh, you were you in the front row? I, I I saw that. I was fortunate enough to see that particular film since you brought it up. Also at a at the New York Film Festival uh, at, a, at a press and industry screening, and um, and then afterwards, it's very surreal because they all came out and did mm -hmm. it in a. It was very very interesting. And Joe Pesci was wearing you know shades. He was wearing sunglasses, and didn't say barely said a word. It was very strange. And I was the most moved by Pesci. I watched there and, and watching some of the moments, which I would never have gotten if I was watching it on Netflix at home, but watching it like on the big screen as I was at Alice Tully Hall, I was brought, to, at moments I was almost brought to tears by just watching his performance in that movie. Um, and I can understand why he didn't say anything because you know, cinema is a sacred place. Uh, cinema is like a, a, a church, you know? And so I, don't love Q and A's and after events. You know, I think that you watch the film, you have this experience, you go out into the world, and then maybe thirty minutes later, I used to be director here of the Edinburgh Film Festival, which is one of the oldest film festivals in the world. And when I took over, it basically we cancelled Q and A's, and we said, okay, here's a separate room that we can, if people want to talk about the film, we go there, but not in the sacred space. You watch the film, you leave, people want to have a beer, or in those days people smoked, have a cigarette, and then you, there was another room, and you go there and you meet the filmmakers, and we had 
Steve Martin and the Coen brothers and, and Bertolucci and many people sitting in on beanbags in a smaller separate room. And it, it, was the, it was the right thing to do. It wasn't immediately after the movie. It's amazing, you know, for as many Q&As as I've, been, I've, I've, I've moderated over, believe it or not, I can actually do that. Uh, I know, I'm, I feel like I'm practically in, inarticulate with you for some reason. No, but no. Um, I think I'm just overwhelmed by your work, you know. But I've always felt like, even though I, I'm a part of the problem in the sense that I, I, when people ask me to moderate at their Q&As, I always say yes, especially when they pay, because it's... <laughs> It's a nice, nice thing to be able to when a distributor pays me to come in and do that. But I'm also thinking, saying out of the side of my mouth, man, this is the, in, not an organic thing. This is um, when when I watch the film, I, I leave during Q and A's often if I'm in the audience because I don't feel there is an. It's I need to let it wash over me, and I and my thoughts. I haven't had time to form a question. I mean, yeah. If I have one, uh, and I think that cinemas are there's another ambulance here that one's really like. Yeah, I thought <laughs> um, I was going to get them. You're you're actually uh, you're downtown, uh, I guess. Cinemas aren't talking places in a way, you know. They're yeah. looking places, you know. They are video drums, and I I mean I love talking about cinema and I love talking to you about cinema, but not in a cinema for me it doesn't work very well. And where possible, I don't do them. In, in do Q and A's in cinemas. I say, could we go somewhere else? So I've, I, I toured recently with one of my films, and I said to the audience, "Look, it's a very long film." And I said to the audience, "Look, when you finish this very very long film, I'll be in this cafe or in this bar, and whoever wants to show up, show up, and then you know, and I you know, I'll buy you a beer or coffee, and then we'll talk for as long as you want. We can talk for six hours if you want, but not in the sacred space." That's amazing. I never, uh, as many people as I've talked to about this feeling, uh, no one's brought it, I'm always the one bringing it up. I'm like, uh, <laughs> there was some way to, I didn't think about it as in terms of the sacred space quite like you do, but it makes sense. But I was thinking maybe uh, people need like a half hour or something to breathe in, the, and, you know, and let this marinate. And um, uh, Yeah, and maybe, it, maybe it's time, but maybe it's something else. It's also like a you know, there's the kind of poetic and the, the prosaic. There's poetry and prose. And you need to step from one territory into the other one, I think. Mm. Um, tell me about, you grew up primarily in Scotland, right? Even though... Maybe no, in Northern you were Ireland. In Northern England? You were, you were Northern born, Ireland. In Northern Ireland. Yes. Oh. But you were born in England, is that right? Or... Yeah, I was, you know, for a, a, yeah, I was born in England, but we only lived there for two months. And so oh. my whole, everything of my upbringing was <laughs> Northern Ireland, you know, during the troubles and all that. <laughs> hey, what was that like? Oh, that was a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, can you tell me about that in, in, in five minutes or less. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But where, where were you introduced to uh, going to movies? Were you... Was it well, because, because during the Troubles, during the, 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 the low temperature war we had in Northern Ireland, the cinemas were open, but not massively so. And, you know, at the worst of it, people were scared of going out, you know. Wow. So, you know, life was privatized in some way. Um, yeah. And so I did go to the cinema. I often went on my own. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I remember seeing 
films like Steve Martin's Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid on my own, the only person in the cinema. Um, but most of, my, most of my love of cinema came from TV because it was safer to watch TV at home. And we have a very good broadcaster here in the UK, the BBC, and they would do seasons of Orson Welles films and Alfred Hitchcock films. And I remember seeing loads of, it was mostly American cinema. I remember seeing, you know, John Garfield movies and Robert Siodmak movies. And, uh, you know, so the classic American cinema, the 40s and 50s, they were my incubator in a way at home. Mm -hmm. And it felt safe to be at home but also these films were not safe when you think of Orson Welles as Touch of Evil do you think of that John Garfield film Force of Evil for example these are films about nightmare experiences and dark gothic racist you know exploitation exploitation and for a boy to enter that world through the safe space of my own home it was like space tar- travel and time travel uh, you were so you're near Belfast I guess yeah. Is that where you were? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I got that from, of course, uh, you, your, your 2015 film, I Am Belfast. <laughs> so interesting, you, you were attracted to films that kept you um, out of a, a comfort zone. Yes, very much so. You know, I think that's one of the things about cinema and, and young people as well. You know, we, you know, when you're, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, you want to be excited. You know, yeah. I, I didn't want, you know, to be patronized or, you know, to give given safe films. You know, I remember I saw the film The Exorcist, for example, far too young. And that, pro- and that was not good. But nonetheless, it excited me. I wanted to know what was out there. Teenagers, I think their imagination it runs riot and they want it. It's a very hungry imagination, the teenage imagination. And that was the case with me. So sitting in Belfast, I wanted to see stories of the devil, like the exorcist. I wanted to see stories of something called high school, which I'd never heard of, uh, where people fall in love and swap clothes, which was Greece, you know, and they, and they, tough boy becomes tender and the tender girl becomes tough. You know, I want, that's what I wanted to see. I wanted to see films with textures that I hardly understand, understood. I remember seeing Calamity Jane starring uh, Doris Day and there was something about it. It was like silk. Uh, and only later did I understand, get it better. But these films that seemed to be, you know, conventional stories, that, they were about much more than that, and that fed my imagination. I was thinking maybe because you grew up, if you're growing around the Troubles and there's always this uh, suggestion of violence around the corner, mm-hmm. um, or the potential for violence around the corner, then maybe anesthetizing yourself was too, too, too dangerous in a way. You know, it's like uh, if you're uh, allowing yourself to kind of fall into some sort of uh, slumber, then it's too, too, too much of a shift to come back, you know, and maybe it's just easier to kind of keep yourself stimulated. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think you're exactly right. You know, the, um, you, what, when you're feeling a bit scared, you're in fight or flight mode, you know, you're a yeah. pumps. <laughs> yeah. And something placid or every day is frankly boring in that circumstance. You know, you want a hit of something. And I was lucky enough to, 
I was asked to go to Sarajevo during its terrible siege where 10,000 people were killed. And they asked me and a number of people to go to um, to set up a, a cinema there. And we set up an underground cinema during the war. And Susan Sontag went and um, lots of other people went, you know. And what we noticed is that in, when we set this underground cinema and 10,000 people were killed in a relatively short amount of time, um, people didn't want sort of bland escapism. They wanted something uh, much more astringent than that, you know. And when you're alert and scared, a, a lot of stuff can seem bland. And I learned a lot from that. I thought even during a war, even, and Sarajevo was a real war, or, you know, more, much more so than what we had in Belfast. Even during a war, people wanted art and they wanted stories sure. and they wanted cinema. Mm -hmm. And that I learned an awful lot from that, you know, so that for me, what I learned is that cinema isn't only something you do on a Friday night when you've had a hard day's hard week's work and uh, you just want to kick back and, and escape, even though it is that. And that's one of the great things about it. But also you want you, you want to feel alive. Uh, and cinema can really make you feel alive. And that's the, that aliveness of cinema is something that has never left me. When you were young and you went to the went to the cinema, did it feed your? I mean, obviously it fed your imagination. But did you? Were you also like a, when I would come out of the uh, the movie theaters, I would be in such a my you know enriched my my internal fantasy life was uh, only you know stimulated and heightened yeah. when I would come out, and I would really go through this process of having to you know just. Uh, I don't know, live there in my head for a while after coming out of the movie theaters. Yeah, I, th I think go going to a movie theater is you, you can shed all your inhibitions. You can be anybody and everybody. You, there are no boundaries, you know. You can be, if you come from a poor background as I did, you can feel as if you're really rich. You can, uh, you, so you can tra traverse class boundaries sexual boundaries, uh, every kind of boundaries. You can, you know, be sitting in, in Queens where you are now and see a film from about Paris or Stockholm or Mumbai or Cairo. And you can be there. And I think those of us who love movies like you and I do, we have this in common. No matter if, if we're watching a film from the other side of the world, it's not foreign to us because it speaks our language, which is the language of cinema. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, a slightly political aspect of this is that at a time when we've got political leaders in your country and mine and others who are trying to, con to, to convince us that we're, we're very different from our neighbors in other countries, you know, and uh, cinema is the opposite of that, you know. It's really good. It's a universal language in some way, and it's really good at saying despite the fact that I'm in Ireland or, or in or Scotland and you're in Queens or wherever, we can see films from the other side of the world and understand the other side of the world and realize that we, those people on the other side of the world are our brothers and sisters. And that's, that's quite moving for me, you know, in a time of nationalism when, you know, our political leaders are telling us another story. Mm. Did you, uh, were your, what did, were your, what did your parents, 
what were they? What did they do? I mean, so my dad was a motor mechanic. He fixed cars, uh, and my mom was a home help. Uh, and you know, so working with old people in their home, you know, yes, you know, range cooking food, making the fires, etc. Mm. And when did you realize that uh, cinema was going to be your work, your life? It, you know, I was brought up Catholic. In the Catholic Church, there's this idea of the vocation. Are you going to be a priest? Are you going to be called to the priesthood? And it felt like it was my vocation. You know, I felt as if I hadn't a choice in it. You know, I was talking earlier about Seamus Heaney saying that a ball kicked in from nowhere. I feel that cinema chose me. Mm -hmm. I didn't choose it. And so it was watching, it was watching those films on TV in my child and my teenage years and childhood. And I felt that they cinema reached out of the scene screen and grabbed me and said, you know, I want you. And, and that sounds too violent. Let's, let me put that another way. It, it put its arm around my shoulder and said, let me take you around the world. That's a better way of putting it. You know? it, so you it, was, it was a compulsion. It was an addiction. It was an intoxication. And the church lost a, a, a potential uh, priest in the, in the. Absolutely. <laughs> but Absolutely. of course, there you know you. It's as uh, the risk of, of bringing up an old cliche. Of course, you you ended up in a church of a sort anyway. I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. One could argue, right? Uh, yeah, of course, yeah. Certainly, having that 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 religious experience. Yeah. And the way you talk about it, it certainly sounds the same. It is the same. And when, you know, I'm here in Scotland and the great actor Tilda Swinton lives here and we do things together, you know, and right. we make things. And one of the things we did was up called a pilgrimage. It was based on the Catholic idea of a pilgrimage, you know. And so we pulled, we took a cinema and we pulled it on wheels from the west coast of Scotland to the east coast of Scotland. Uh, literally like a 37 ton truck that uh, w was a cinema and that was and like it was a tow rope on our shoulders and it was hard work and uh, the idea idea was to say to show we love cinema this much we're prepared to put it between villages and towns so that's a that's an explicit example where cinema was our religion and and or Tilda Swinton was pulling with you so yes, just... and the audience, you know, I mean, Tilda and the, uh, we had an audience of about, it was, it's a small mobile cinema, so it was about, um, <clears throat> at any time, about 50 people, and we pulled. And where, where did you go? From the west coast of Scotland to the east coast of Scotland. Oh, okay. Now that's how many, how many, I guess I would ask kilometers, right? I have to... Yeah, uh, so quite a long time. I mean, we did not pull uphill because the truck was so heavy, yeah. so we only pulled on the flat. So we didn't do every mile or every kilometer, but we did, you know, every day, we did it over eight and a half days and every day we pulled for a good bit of the time. Try doing that here in the States, just to, from one coast oh, well, to the other. I mean, it's interesting because I was talking to Michael Moore about the, I'm on the board of the Traverse City Film Festival. And so we were oh, talking- Oh, I was there last summer, yeah. Oh yeah, uh, so we're, we're trying to, we were talking about maybe trying to use a mobile cinema in some way to get out into the communities in Michigan and further afield. You know? mm -hmm. Well, he's done a good job of that. Yeah. Uh, at, like at least in Traverse City. And um, yeah, yeah. 
it's interesting. He, uh, you know, since we're talking about the power of cinema, he feels that since he's uh, renovated uh, and created, renovated a number of theaters, and since he's created the festival, that um, the state has gone Democrat. Well, <laughs> well like what, is, what is certainly true is within Traverse City, once, once the state cinema was built, there were, as you know, there were a lot of derelict buildings around there. Yes. And there was a kind of domino effect. You know, there was an outward ripple and on Main Street in Traverse City, more buildings were refurbed and more cafes and restaurants opened and the community benefited, you know, and this is the cluster theory. And this is the kind of, you know, theory of optimism. If you do something like shining and luminous in the center of somewhere, you know, it'll, it'll, it'll kind of raise the tide and of business confidence and cultural confidence. And so that's really what happened in Traverse City. Mm-hmm. Well, we're right for this right now. Uh, it's going to, I, I, I keep looking at this. I know you're not here in the States, but um, in, in there's so many towns and small cities like Traverse City um, where for so many decades that the downtown has uh, been, um, you know, in free fall economically. And, Absolutely. And um, I feel like we're at such, this is a, presents an opportunity if, of course, governments will see it as such, um, but for, for downtowns to, to come back, you know, and they've all have, most of them have a cinema. Yeah. And I think, you know, I'm not, I'm not an American, so I don't know the answer to this, but my hunch is that the central idea of a, a downtown is it's where, is where people meet together. Yes. Have joint experience, social and collective experiences. And one of the dangers about America is it, its founding myth of individualism and the frontier. And my space is different from your space, you know, and I think that... Or it's my space... Yeah, yeah. And what's what's worrying about America is that if it hangs on to the founding myth of individualism, then its Detroit's and its 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 main streets and its downtowns will continue to die. And instead of enjoying, as people as New Yorkers know and many parts of America know, the pleasure of the collective experience, the joint experience, we're all in this together through thick and thin, and we're in thin at the moment because of the lockdown. You know, I think that that's why America has to shift its mythology in some way and rediscover the ideas. Yeah, there's another one going right past. I hear it. Oh, I hear it. Um, and and rediscover the values of the deal, you know, and that sense of we are all, we, you know, our pleasures, our satisfactions, our joys as human beings are forged in some kind of collective way rather than through individualism. Well, the cinema gives you both at the same time because you're sitting in a cinema, especially if you're going alone. You're, 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 you know, you're, you're, you're experiencing. Very, very much in an isolated way, yet you're with um, your your neighbors. Yes. Uh, but I guess I'm talking about cinema buildings as well. You know, yeah. if you know, if there's a, if, you know, if, let's imagine a small city in, you know, Iowa or something, and it's got a cinema that closed in the 1980s. You know, if the community can open that up. And even if it gets a bit of state support or not, that the the sense of well-being and yeah. And community will benefit everyone, you know, and it will rely on 
you know, maybe seniors, retired people, etc., and all sorts of volunteering mechanisms. And but you know that the uplift is remarkable. You know, so I think that the the, the impact of a cinema building reopening especially reopening after this lockdown and this crisis will, you know, is got huge potential, a kind of rebirth. What do you do um, when, when, when you're in lockdown? What are you doing? So I, my partner, uh, she works for the National Health Service here. And so she's really plugged in to the current crisis. So my primary job is to make sure there's a nice meal on the table uh, when she finishes her working day. And I quite like cooking. And so around five o'clock or 5.30 every day, I'll turn on the radio and listen to the latest terrible news and start chopping onions to make whatever it is for that evening. Uh, I watch a lot of TV. Um, I, 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 not so much, not at all cinema on TV, but other types mm. of TV. Mm-hmm. I love dancing. Um, I have a camper van, an old 70s camper van sitting outside my apartment here. And we drove once from here to... India. <laughs> Wait a minute. Scotland is, I thought Scotland, well, no, you're connected to England. Yeah, so that's a long way. I don't know. That's, that's a very, very long way. It's driving through all the European countries, all the Arabic countries into India. So a long way. So, you know, I like the epic. I guess I could drive from here to Chile if I wanted to. Yes. Yeah, it's, yeah. Um, I love walking and I've walked across you know, the world's great cities. I've walked across Los Angeles, of course, New York many times, uh, Mumbai, Tehran, Moscow, Paris, London, obviously, you know, Mexico City. I, I, I've walked across the, I, I love setting out at seven in the morning thinking 12 hours later, I might have a beer somewhere at the, uh, at the other side of the city. Blisters, I'm just thinking about blisters. Or the heat, you know, when you, I love long walks too, and I've done not quite, what you're talking about but i've done sometimes i'll just do these five hour yes i I know if if i have a specific train and i just because new york is so big and so sprawling that i always know i'm just going to see streets and and buildings and people that i i just you just never get to see i need that time absolutely I i love it especially it would be right around this time of year where i would be doing this because the weather really is just perfect for that. Absolutely. I've, I've long intended to walk from Manhattan to JFK and I've not done it yet. And Will Self did it, you know, but, but that's on my to-do list. <laughs> has to be alone. Yes. Okay. Uh, well, I would definitely say you'd be walking pretty close to here if you did that, but I don't know if I'll be here any- <laughs> at that point. I have to leave soon. And then I'm, I'm actually I'm sending my son who's uh, sleeping in the next room to his mother who's in Los Angeles. And he's turning 16 in a few days and he's going to be then, she's coming in and getting him and taking him back to Los Angeles. And uh, I may follow after them a couple, in a month or two, like uh, once I've settled all my father's uh, legal issues uh, and, practice, and clearing out his place. What were you like when you were 16? Well... I, I know I went to the movies a lot. <laughs> I was also very um, 16. I was very into my jazz guitar. I was taking jazz guitar uh, from this guy named Joe Monk. 
my dad would drive me out every other weekend to uh, my guitar lesson in, in nearby in Long Island. And um, that was very important to me. Um, I don't think I, I still, it was in high school, right? It would have been in high school. You turned the tables on me. I was not prepared. <laughs> I was uh, starting to get a sense of myself, I think, by then. I also made a decision after being socially awkward, not believing. I, I, when I went to high school, I just decided I'm going to reinvent myself a little bit and just sort of allow myself to, to be fully realize myself. And I knew that I had all these things I could say and do. And then I had a personality that I wanted people to really see, you know, and I, I gave myself that opportunity. Unfortunately, I went to a high school that really was open to that, you know, my, um, so that was very important. Uh, period. Why did you keep your, why did you keep your personality hidden before that? It's that kind of Pink Floyd, you know, brick in the wall type of thing where I went to this big middle school and um, where I just hated it. I mean, I just was very unhappy and I think I just, you know, kind of disappeared within myself uh, in that way, you know, and that was not happy. But when I went to high school, I was sort of realizing that there, I, had, I, I had so much I wanted to do. And I was, fortunately, you know, we had a very great theater program there. So it was really like, you know, it was a lot of what people like me who were probably outcasts who uh, came together and we had these amazing teachers. And uh, so it was a really, it was a really positive time actually. My high school. Has, your, has your personality remained the same since then? Yeah, I think it has. Yeah. You know, through social media, you, um, you, you, you know, you've re I reconnected with some of the, my old high school friends over time, you know, here and there. And yeah, it feels that like, I feel, you know, through them, you sort of remember, you know, you, they have a sense of who you, I was for, well, 30, 40 years ago. And you know, so I still, yeah, that's basically who I am, I think. I think, think so. Um, Do you like being asked questions about yourself? Yeah, I don't mind it. I just, uh, it was thrown a little bit because I haven't really thought about that more, you know. <laughs> it's a little uncomfortable, but not, not terribly. You know, I'm open. Maybe it's you in particular asking me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Because I have a... There's still like a part of me is shy. Yeah. I've learned how to perform my, the version of myself that's not shy, who's not shy in a way. So I think I was, I think that's part of uh, probably what I'm describing uh, this, this constant tension between the shy, the shy part of myself and the more outgoing extroverted part of myself, the desire to be not shy. Um, but when I'm unhappy or, you know, like I was in my middle school years or when I'm with someone who is shy, let's say, I, I become that person again, that shy person that, that's there inside me. And uh, you think shyness is um, a good thing to have? Sure. I think yeah. especially for people who are trying to, you know, be creative. Yeah, I suppose so. Shy, the shy yeah, people are the ones yeah. who in, in high school were on the side of the playground, weren't they? They weren't in the middle, they were on the edge. Right, for sure. Mm -hmm. The margins, as it were, yeah. 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 And uh, for sure, and I think when you 
if you're if you're super extroverted, I feel like it's maybe t tougher. It's harder to find that internal time that you need in order to be an artist um, or creative. Anyway, I don't know. It, there's definitely always been that inner tension in, within me of, of of wanting to be like like doing a podcast, for instance. It's arguably creative. However, it's not really artistic, you know. And when I was in lockdown. Well, first of all, right before I was in lockdown, I actually wrote my first film. I'm 56, and I wrote my first short film, you know? And I was really close to, I had cast it with the real actors, and I was gonna even be in it. Um, and um, I was gonna direct it and, uh, you know, which is now kind of on temporary hold, but I was really starting to uh, allow myself to return to a more creative place, more artistic, place because I feel like I've been on the, I don't know, not on the, well, I've been certainly talking to a lot of people and it's not that I felt jealous of them. It's just more, more like inspired and missing the part of my uh, self that I kind of always not allowed to flower uh, fully or blossom, you know, um, uh, going back to my, the jazz guitar days where, you know, my teacher at one point said to me, you know, this was years after playing and you know taking lessons he said one day to me he said you know if you want to be a jazz guitar player you can do it you have it you 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 have the talent and i didn't want to be a jazz guitarist but him saying that to me was uh, profound for me you know it was definitely how, how often are you totally happy Oof, i don't know not not i don't remember the last time i felt that way really so are we talking months or no um I don't, uh, I don't remember the, uh, well, there are moments, but I don't feel like, in, are you talking about like um, in general? Or are you talking about just- yeah, You know, just the pure sense of being alive. Um, yeah, I don't remember. I don't remember. There's been a, some level of conflict, I think for a while, you know? Losing my father was very painful, but I also feel like in one, one another sense, it's been a liberating thing. I, my mom is, uh, my mother is in a nursing home. She has very advanced dementia, very advanced. She's, uh, and she had gotten the, the uh, coronavirus. It got into that facility. And, um, you know, I was almost thinking, man, I just, I hope this, this is it for her. I hope this late brings her to, you know, her, her death because, um, you know, it should be fast and painless. And, uh, but I, li living through my parents' uh, old age has been really difficult, you know, and it's been going on for a while. So, um, yeah. Well, it's when we get to, I'm exactly the same age as you. And so when we get to our uh, age, you know, I, I, you know, I think it's, it, we have to face that, don't we? The yeah. end of our parents' lives. I think part of the answer to your question is I, I'm so preoccupied with my mortality. And it's, it sounds like a Woody Allen line, but you know, <laughs> I, I, I'm not scared to death. I just don't want to be there, you know, when it happens. Yeah, yeah. That is, in a sense, my, I'm constantly preoccupied with dying. Yeah. I don't talk about it much, but I think it really is. No, it's not funny because I think it really, um, you know, it. it uh, I'm constantly doing the math in my head, like, my midlife crisis. Well, I actually thought this is a good. This is a natural documentary project because it's a it's a cliche. It's a you know the midlife crisis. The guy who 
leaves his marriage, buys his sports car, right? Gets yeah. the trophy, girlfriend, or what have you. But when you're when you're truly preoccupied with with how much time you have left and how all of your decisions were made by some irresponsible idiot version of yourself when you were much younger, and you know you just went with it rather than um, realized much more for yourself or whatever. I, I just feel so. I went through this really long period where it really was you know, a, a wreck, you know, because I realized I, I have to live with all the, a lot of the decisions I've made, you know, that was a troubling period, you know, but I guess what I've been doing slowly is realizing, well, perhaps, but there's also still time to still, there's so much more to do. You know, you do emerge from that period and you realize, well, I can make this film. I can re you know, now I can, you know, I picked up the guitar again, um and been playing and it's been really joyful you know you know i mentioned earlier chopping onions yes that, that moment of the day where i can give myself permission to stop working and stop step away from the edit suite or step away from the script that i'm writing and go and put on the radio and we've got a great radio station here called six music that i watch and chop onions and pour myself a glass of wine and it's just you know a kind of joyful moment for me you know because i think i've done the best i can do you know a day is a day is an amazing thing you know uh, and it's a unit of our lives we don't know how many we'll have but that threshold moment where i can move from act two of the day into yeah. act three of the day yeah. by chopping onions yeah yeah i guess i i took your question in a more uh maybe a more broader interpretation yes. of it like you know a phase of feeling a certain level of pure joy or something like that you know but I definitely have many moments and I just love living with my son I'm, I'm as happy as I've ever been in that regard like I'm, I'm actually sort of what's the word uh, I'm dreading I suppose his mother taking him I mean I think that will also present some new opportunities uh, and I have to empty this place out also so it's important that he go and but just be, this period has been uh, when he when he does come out of that room bedroom <laughs> um, it's really been just uh, terrific you know and uh, and uh, I, I know exactly what you mean uh, and I feel and also I just in a way I feel like I'm thriving in this this period right now you know I don't know what it is with what about what it, I know a lot of people are suffering and all, of course, but like just that the world is slowed down and now it's completely the world I'm making here in a way, you know, I'm creating all my schedule every day, you know, and doing the work that I decide I'm going to do. And I, that's really tremendously satisfying. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I, I think that so many people, going through some some terrible times but those of us who are lucky enough to not be going through those times there's a sort of return to a kind of almost like a pre-industrial age even though we're talking yeah, through right. technology yeah. but it's quite a lot about cooking and and homework and, and cleaning the house and all those practical stuff you know and yeah. the satisfaction we've forgotten the satisfactions of 
things. Obviously, when people have got loads of childcare issues and, and there are loads of people who are living at home with abusive parent, partners and things and all that's terrible. But if we're lucky enough not to have those stressors in our apartments and our homes, then, you know, it's, it's really um, fertile. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's, uh, and doing this is, has been much more, uh, actually positive experience that I was, uh, I've always thought, you know, whenever, uh, I do the, the podcast for instance, and, you know, somebody suggests doing it remotely, it's always for me, um, oh, you know, you don't quite have the opportunity to connect, you know? But yeah. I'm finding maybe because of the same thing, maybe this so much of uh, things have slowed down that now I can really, really can be really present during these uh, yeah. in a way that was harder, more challenging before. Yeah. Yeah, and I think the virus has, has leveled everybody in a way, you know, it's it's made we can we can we've certainly got a lot in common because everybody's at home and simple things like that has made people giving the people a bit more empathy for each other i hope, hope so yeah right yeah i hope you're going to keep this last bit of the conversation in the podcast will you yes good yeah absolutely uh well, thank you for letting me enter into your your head and into your world <laughs> thank you adam it's very nice talking to you after all this time. Yeah, same here. Yeah, I'm glad it worked out that it happened to be today that it, this happened. And it's so perfectly quiet, um, except for the sirens that are going by your, your yes. street. Yeah, we've had several, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, let's try and meet in real life when it all ends. I'm in, I'm in uh, New York quite often, so let's try and meet. I'd love that, yes. Well, maybe a long walk would be nice. Too. Yeah. I don't know. That sounds like it's something you do in solitude as well, but maybe you'll make an exception. That'd be nice. (laughs) All right. Terrific. Well, it must be almost time to chop some onions. I don't know. What what time is it? It's only four o'clock here. It's only six past four. Oh, very good. Well, I'll do some more work and then chop some onions. (laughs) Me too. All right. Pleasure. Same here. Oh, hey. I have one other, actually, I'm sorry to interrupt. You can ask more questions if you want. I'm not wrapping up. Ask more questions. But no, this was actually more of a request. Yes. Which is because of my relationship with uh, your your, uh, narration. As you know, it's it's really, I have a separate relationship with your uh, narration than I do (laughs) with your voice than I do with you now. (laughs) If if you could do a, uh, uh, one of those uh, IDs for me where you, introduce my show because sure. I would, it would be such a, um, yeah, would be a pleasure would you to, to say. Well, you can of course say anything you want, but it would just, it has to incorporate the only rule, I guess, is that it would have to say, uh, in, you're listening to film wax radio somewhere in there, but, um, okay. Ready? Hi, I'm Mark Cousins. I'm in Scotland talking to Adam and you're listening to Filmax Radio. And we talk about cinema and uh, passion, but then we talk about more personal stuff as well. Thank you. You're welcome. I hate to say goodbye, but I, 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 I mm-hmm. need to let you go and uh, we'll be in touch. Yeah. Okay. All right.
keep in touch and we'll meet each other in real life at some point. Absolutely. Pleasure. Okay. Thanks for your time. You Love too. You to you. Same here. What's your, what's your son called? Jacob. Is Jacob into movies? Um, yeah. Not, 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 not like, no, he's into storytelling, but he's into, right, he's been, obviously, he's really into his gaming. I will gaming. say that. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> but he is, uh, it, yeah, but he's, he's uh, also, he is, he does a movie night with his friends every weekend and uh you know and we and he does most of his movies we do we, and i try to do a movie night with him i have a projector too here so oh, nice. i try to do like a, a a movie night with him but he has less time for that these days <laughs> yeah okay nice we'll talking to you same here take care everybody we'll be back in a few days with a brand new episode of the podcast the team behind the new documentary about olympia dukakis called olympia and um, we have also the team behind a film we have the filmmakers behind a film a film about uh, the congressman john lewis called john lewis good trouble film wax radio friend joshua burge the actor will be on the musician singer songwriter josh josh rouse will be on uh, we have a great episode coming up with Robert Schwartzman and his mom, Talia Shire, talking about a film that came out that Robert Schwartzman's dad produced back in the 80s called Rad. That was directed by Hal Needham. Uh, but they, they come on, we're going to have a conversation about that and much more. Thank you for listening. Take care of yourselves and the ones you love. Until next time.